Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Justin Duell, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And so if you're new here, I would love the chance uh, to meet you. So after service, I always hang out right out here in our foyer. So if you would just come up and introduce yourself, that would, that would help me out a lot. I promise I don't bite. I don't have COVID anymore, so I'm, I'm safe. Uh, yeah, so th- for those of you who were here last week, last weekend, right at the end of the week, I found out I had COVID. You know, wasn't feeling well, and so well, I'll take a test just to be safe, and it was positive. So, uh, so special thanks to Rodney because I had to tell him very last minute, hey, man, I've got COVID. You get to preach this Sunday. And so in just, you know, a very short amount of time, he worked on a sermon to cover for me, so I appreciate that. And then I recovered from COVID, and last week, Jenna and I had already planned to go on vacation. So got over COVID. We went on a little vacation and then came back. So last week for me was very different, very crazy. And because of that, um, I actually had changed the title of my sermon, but wasn't back in time to update the bulletin before they got printed. So for those of you who you really, you really care that that bulletin is just absolutely correct, uh, this sermon is actually called Keeping Your Commitments. It's a little change there, Keeping Your Commitments. Uh, that's what it's going to be called. And uh, this is your last parental warning. I'm going to be talking about some things we don't always talk about in church because of what Jesus talks about. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some adult things. This is your last chance. If you, need to, if you need to escort yourself out of the room, here is your chance, all right? Last warning. All right. So if you in your Bible or on your device would turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 37. That's what will be this morning. And once you get there, I mean, if If you just look at the headings in your Bible, you will realize, oh, maybe this is the Sunday I should have gone on vacation, because we're going to be talking about adultery and divorce and lust, and then there at the very end, Jesus talks about oaths and promises. So we're going to be talking about uh, a word we don't always talk about in church, because it makes us really nervous, and that's sex. And it makes people, I can already see some of you are getting a little red in the face. You're starting to squirm a little bit. You're like, oh, great. Why am I not in front of my parents? Why? You know, but it's important we talk about it because Jesus talks about it, but also because everywhere in our culture has no problem talking about these things. And what our culture says is the exact opposite of what Jesus teaches. And so many times, even though these can be hard topics for us to hear, we need the reminder that this is what Jesus says to us. We need that reminder of what is true. And so we're going to be reading uh, through this this morning. So I'm going to start in verse 27. Here's what Jesus says. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. Jesus is quoting from the Ten Commandments. That's one of them. You must not commit adultery. But I say... Anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So, on the surface, this sounds really difficult, and it can be. Now, when Jesus uses this word lust, it's important for us to understand exactly what he means. 
because there are several different words that Jesus could have used and Matthew could have written down for us. But the one that they pick, the one that we have in our Bible, is this word that has a little bit of greed built into it. It's this idea that I desire something sexually from you and I will do whatever it takes to get what I want. I will cross boundaries, I will break rules, I will get what I want. It is greedy, it is selfish. He does not use another, other words that he could have used. He chooses this word that's very self-centered. And that's important for us to make that distinction because it's easy to kind of read this on the surface and think very negatively of, well, I guess, you know, God hates sex and, and that's just evil and gross and yucky in these ways I feel. That's just all bad. But that's not actually the whole message of the Bible. I mean, think about it. Genesis chapter 1, chapter 3, the way that the Bible begins is you've got a naked man and a naked woman in the middle of a garden and Adam scenes love psalms to eat. Like, that's how the Bible starts. And God's like, yeah, this is great. Like, that's how the Bible starts. And then if, you know, if you haven't read the book of Psalm of Psalms or Psalm of Solomon, that's in your Bible. If you've never read that before, you will blush. Like, it is a whole book dedicated to the romance and the love between a husband and the wife. And it starts as they're looking forward to their wedding day, and it goes all the way through the wedding night and the honeymoon. So it's all in there. God put it in there. Because the Bible is very clear that sex inside of marriage is a wonderful gift from God. But when you take it outside of marriage, that's when you get into problems. That's when it causes destruction and pain and danger. And so Jesus is not saying, hey, if you, if you look at your spouse and, and you start to get attracted to them, that's bad. That's not what he's saying. He's saying when you look at people outside of your marriage, when you start to look at people as objects, when you start to get selfish and greedy, that's the problem. That's what lust is. So there's at least four expressions of lust that I could think of that we have to watch out for that Jesus is talking about. So the first one is pornography. And there are so many studies. There's at least 85 studies that have linked Use of pornography to damaging your mental and your emotional health. At least 85 of them. Scientists have discovered that using pornography can do anything from creating brain fog, where you just kind of have a hard time thinking clearly and remembering things. It can cause social anxiety. It can even cause depression. They found that all that's linked to using pornography. Neuroscientists have also found that a person who uses pornography, their brain lights up, just like a cocaine addict when they see cocaine, meaning pornography is highly addictive and it rewires your brain to want more and more. Scientists have also found that using pornography actually damages and removes gray matter in your brain, which what that turns into is you don't know how to have sex unless there's a screen. So it actually rewires your brain to where you can't actually be physically intimate. Your body won't respond the way it's supposed to with a human being, as in your spouse. Things just won't work like they're supposed to. And there's so many other studies we could talk about, but pornography, it's been proven. It will destroy your ability to have physical and emotional intimacy with with another person, and it rewires the way your brain operates. It's dangerous for you. Here's a second one, using sex selfishly. Because our culture just makes sex very me-centered. 
It's you just think, well, what, what can you do for me? I need to be satisfied. I need you to do X, Y, and Z for me. But actually, sex is meant to be this unselfish act. Uh, John White, who's a Christian psychiatrist, he once said this. And this quote, it's a little wordy, so I want you to listen close, and I'm going to make sure you catch what he's talking about. He said, the bodily exposure that arouses and accompanies sex can be profoundly symbolic and powerfully healing if, if it is the concrete sign of what is happening in the whole relationship. So it only makes sense that the sexual relationship be confined to marriage for mutual disclosure and tender acceptance is not the activity of the moment, but the fabric of a lifetime's weaving. Each time, fe- each time sex is physical disclosure without being complete personal disclosure and commitment, some of its life-giving and healing nature is destroyed. So I want to, what I want you to hear there is what he's saying is that as long as sex inside of a marriage is this place where it's actually an expression of your entire marriage. So where you have marriage where there's acceptance and there's self-sacrifice and there's love and there's commitment and there's honesty and there's vulnerability, sex will actually be a whole lot better and safer. But when sex becomes selfish, when it becomes focused on what you can get, it becomes dangerous and can actually be harmful to your marriage and your spouse. Here's a third way lust can show up. It's believing you can't be a whole person and be happy without sex. And this is one our, our culture is very loud about and just wants to make, just, it just screams us like, you are not a complete person if you're a virgin. You're not a com- and sometimes you're not a complete person if you're not married. Like you, you can't be alone, you can't, that just doesn't work. But that's so far from the truth. You know why? The most fulfilled man who ever lived was single, never married, never had sex. Sorry, Dan Brown. Jesus did not have a secret wife and a secret child. That's so based on fiction. Jesus was the most fulfilled person ever. And he didn't need a girlfriend. He didn't need a wife. He was, he was fully fulfilled. And even the Apostle Paul in his letters, you know what he says about singleness? He says, singleness is a gift. And he even says, I wish more of you were like me, meaning I wish more of you were single like me, because then you'd have even more time and even more uh, commitment to give to God. You wouldn't have a spouse. I mean, that's what Paul thinks. But our culture thinks, well, no, if, if you don't have sex, if you're not married, or even if you're not married, if you don't have this romantic relationship, you're just messed up, broken, something must be wrong with you. And that is not at all the message that God gives us. We are not incomplete without marriage. Marriage is a good gift, but so is singleness. And here's a fourth one that I thought of. And lust can also show up like this, as a fairy tale dream of this perfect marriage, perfect family, perfect house, perfect life, and you think, if I have all of this, then I'll be happy. And that's idolatry. Because what you begin to believe is, if I just had this and you have this image of this, if we just lived in this, you know, beautiful castle, and I just had my Prince Charming, and all my kids were perfectly dressed by themselves at 7 a.m. every morning, and they just said, you know, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, if they just, you know, if everything, my, my husband comes home on a white horse every, you know, if that was life, then I'd be happy. That's, that's not the way marriage works. Those of you who are married know, there are some days where you're not very happy. 
There are some days where you do not look like Prince Charming or you do not look like Princess Cinderella. And lust is this, this dangerous greed of if, if, if things were just different. Maybe if I married a different person, my life would be better, my life would be happier. Maybe if I just, if this was different, if that was different, everything would be the way I want it to be. But that is not what Jesus teaches us. And so if you're wondering, okay, well, how do I, how do I escape from lust? Well, I'm glad you asked, because Jesus tells us in our passage, and it's pretty extreme. He says, okay, so, so Jesus, what do we do? All right, well, uh, gouge out your eye, cut off your hand, cut off your, your best eye. So like if you go to the eye doctor and like, hey, you know, your left eye sees a little better than your right eye. He'd say, okay, get rid of the left eye. You know, if you're a guitar player, it's like, well, which hand? The left one, the one you need all the muscle memory for all your chords. Get rid of that one. Now, Jesus is not being literal. He doesn't mean when you set up a station up here and you need to come down front and chop limbs off. That's not what he's saying. But his point in his metaphor, his hyperbole, is this, this question. How much are you willing to lose so you don't lose everything? How much are you willing to lose so you don't lose everything? Jesus says, it's be bet- it would be better for you to lose part of your body than for all of you to be thrown into hell. So how do you escape lust? You do whatever you have to. You run from it. You flee from it. What is it going to take? Are you going to have to lose a little freedom and put an app on your phone or your computer and give a friend the password so they can control it and watch what you're seeing online? Does it mean you, you have to, uh, you know, go see a counselor and get some help? Does it, what does it mean for you? What do you have to do? How much are you willing to lose so you don't lose everything? But Jesus still goes on. Verse 31, you have heard the law that says, a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Now, this is based on Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4, which is the only place in the Old Testament that gives a little something about divorce. And later, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus teaches more specifically on divorce, and he tells them, Moses gave you this law, not because God wanted divorce, but because your hearts were so hard. And so Moses gave you this little, like, escape clause, this little, you know, break glass in case of emergency law, in case you just were using marriage as this, it was just this horrible thing and you weren't treating it well. And in Jesus' day, there were kind of two views on marriage, which will sound a lot like today. There was one view where one Jewish teacher said, you could divorce, you can divorce somebody for any reason. And back then, the man had to do the certificate of divorce. And he said, any, anything counts. If you just see a woman you like more, you can divorce your wife. If she doesn't make dinner very well, you can divorce her. If Anything, anything is a legitimate reason to divorce your wife. The other teacher kind of sounds like Jesus. He said, the only reason you can divorce your wife is if she's unfaithful. However, Jesus is a little different from both of them. Because even though he does include this little clause, he really believes divorce is not even supposed to be part of the picture. It's just not. And that's where he's different. Because even in the culture, they said, well, yeah, there are times where you need to get divorced. But Jesus wanted us to not get divorced because the whole plan of marriage is 
it's forever. And there's some importance to that. And in, even in our today's culture, some people don't even get married because they're just afraid of the commitment and they don't want to get into that and they want to have the freedom to move around and do whatever they need to. And some people would even give you the advice of, well, well are you happy in your marriage? And if you said no, they said, well, then get a divorce. That's fine. Any reason's good enough. Just, just leave. So our culture's all over the map on this. And listen, there, there's a time, there's a, a place for a discussion at another time and other passages where we can talk about, well, was divorce like ever permissible? Are there situations where maybe, maybe you just, you got to do that? I know divorces can be messy and it takes two people to make a marriage work. So there's grace and forgiveness when there's divorce. But the ideal God's plan was marriage is supposed to be this binding covenant forever. And there's a really important reason for that. Because marriage is a covenant. And a covenant is this binding agreement that you do not break. And part of the importance of that is our culture has really changed marriage from a covenant to a consumer relationship. So let me kind of give you a picture of what that looks like. Uh, so in my living room, I have a 55-inch flat screen TV that I really like because I'm a nerd. I, I want good definition when I watch movies and sports and play video games. All right? I, need, I need the right thing. And now my TV is there to meet my needs. When I'm bored, I can watch something. When the Chiefs are playing, there you go. Like, I'm, I'm set up. My TV does not care if I don't watch it for three or four days. My TV doesn't care if I leave it on all day. My TV will not care if it breaks and I have to replace it with another one. It doesn't care. If I go out to Best Buy and look at better TVs that are bigger and even higher definition, I mean, there was one I saw at Best Buy a few weeks ago where it just, like, had this flyover of the Grand Canyon, and I got motion sickness. I was like, man, I am there. That would look great on my wall. Like, my TV doesn't care. Like, hey, I heard you were at Best Buy talking about some other TV. My, my TV doesn't care. It's a consumer relationship. It's there for me. And that's it. And that's fine with a TV. Like, none of you are really upset if I go to Best Buy and look at other TVs. But if that's the way I think and talk about women, Jenna might have a problem with that. And this is what our culture's done with marriage and with relationships. It's not a covenant anymore. It's a consumer relationship. We see the other person as you're here to meet all of my needs. And if you don't meet my needs the way I want, at any time I can leave, at any time I can go and I can upgrade. And that's that lust kicking in again. Maybe that person will give me more of what I want. Maybe I can find that dream life I'm looking for over there. But marriage is not a consumer relationship. Marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant. And in a marriage, when you have that covenant, it actually creates this space where you have the commitment and the safety that you need to be vulnerable and to share your insecurities and your fears and the thoughts you don't want to tell anybody else and to actually have a person that will still love you. And that's kind of odd. And to have this person that you can have a terrible day at work and they're still going to be there for you. Marriage is more than just finding somebody you're attracted to and somebody who's, who's fun to be around. It's somebody that you can have, like, knockout, brawl conversations about really difficult things. You can be on your worst behavior some days, and this person will still love you, still encourage you, still be there to help you out, and you'll do the same for them. That does not happen in a consumer relationship. That happens in a covenant. Now, do you know where most divorces begin? Lust. So it goes back to what Jesus just said. 
Because very often, what tends to happen that, that marriage counselors and psychologists find over and over again is typically one spouse will have a need and it's not getting met inside of the marriage. And so what they begin to do is look for it outside of the marriage. And it's a lot of times, this is how an affair begins. It's somebody always close by. It's the wife who wishes her husband listened to her more and she's so frustrated, but there's this guy at work and he just seems to listen so well. Why can't, why can't my husband listen like him? And they don't mean to, but over time they just kind of stop needing their husband to listen and they let this guy at work listen. And then before you know it, they're falling in love. Or it's the husband who's like, I wish my wife respected me more. And then there's this girl around the neighborhood who seems to respect him a lot. And it just begins to happen. Or it's you're in your marriage and it's a rough patch and you're discouraged and you just keep thinking, maybe, maybe my life would be better. Maybe I'd be happier. Maybe things would be easier if I would have just married that person. Or maybe it would just be better if I was single. And you begin to think about this other world and lust kicks in and you start to look for your escape hatch and you try to think, how can I get out of this? And so lust is at the beginning and it begins to seep in and ruin what's going on. So listen, listen to me. If you're having a hard time in your marriage, do not wait until the word divorce pops into your head to get help. It's probably too late by then. Get help proactively. There is absolutely no shame in going to a counselor to get help with your marriage. There's no shame in talking to a pastor. There's no shame in going to another couple that you really respect and asking for help. There is no shame in that at all. Because we all need help from time to time. We all need another person who can kind of look at what's going on and give us some tools and give us some resources and some encouragement and help, help make things better. And a lot of times, a, counsel, a counselor can help enrich your marriage. So, all right, so if you're listening to this and your spouse comes to you later in like the next couple weeks and says, hey, I think, I think we should go to marriage counseling. Don't go, great, thanks, Justin. Oh, my marriage is ruined. This is, it's all going to fall apart. Just be like, okay, let, let's see how we can get some help. How can we be better? You know, I don't know if you did before you got married, if you did premarital counseling or not. I hope you did, and I hope it was a great experience. Because usually what happens is you learn an awful lot in just a few weeks' time. You learn a lot about each other. You learn a lot about what you're going to need as you get married. I mean, imagine having that kind of help again later in your marriage to get some more tools, some more insights into how you work and how your spouse works and a little more family of origin and go, oh, so you mean because my dad did this, I do this? Whoa, that's okay, that's crazy. That makes sense. So please get help. Please get help when you need it. Don't wait until it's too late. Because lust is this little seed that begins to grow, and it can destroy you, and it can destroy your marriage. But Jesus still has one more, one more thing he's got to teach on this. So in verse 33, he says, You have also heard that our ancestors were told, You must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. So you can go read all about that later in Numbers chapter 30. 
And Jesus makes the point, don't swear by anything. And in fact, these are common things people would swear by. He says, don't swear by, don't swear by heaven. You don't own that. Don't swear by earth because you don't own the earth. Don't eat, in fact, don't even, don't even swear by your head because you can't control your hair. Like you can't control when it turns gray, when it falls out. That's not up to you. So Jesus' point is, because you know what we love to do? We really want people to believe us. We really want our words to be very important and taken very seriously. So we're not okay with just saying, yes, I'll do that, or no, I won't. You feel bad when you say no. So you're like, I need an excuse. Uh, well, man, oh, I, was, I so wish I could do that, but I got this other thing going on. Or you want to sound more important than you really are or more spiritual than you really are or more serious than you really are. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't hide behind oaths and promises you can't keep. Just let your words be what they are. Say what you mean. Just say yes and just say no. Leave it at that. He wants us to take full responsibility for the things we say and the things that we're going to do with what we say. So here, here's the truth about keeping commitments. You have to choose your commitments carefully. Because here's the thing. Every time you say yes to something, you are saying no to something else. You may just not always know what you've said no to. And you actually can't commit to as many things as you think you can. Like, you can't commit to having this perfect, happy, beautiful life and commit to your spouse. Because guess what? You're not always going to be happy in your marriage. You're going to have days where you're angry, you're frustrated, you're sad, you're, you're having arguments, you're in a bad mood. You're going to have these moments that are difficult. And in that moment, lust can kick in and say, well, wouldn't you rather just be really, really happy instead of this? This is kind of a mess right now, isn't it? You can't say yes to both. You can't say yes to everyone or you'll be exhausted. You'll have no time for yourself. You'll just be a doormat. You can't say yes to everybody. You got to say no. In fact, if you want to get married, you have to say yes to one person, which means you're saying no to everybody else. Like when you say yes to your spouse, you're saying, I've said no to every other woman out there or every other man out there. You're my one and only. Out of all the other options, I'm sticking with you. So you've got to make your commitments carefully. And that's why the question is, what are you willing to lose so that you don't lose everything? That's why that's the question. Because you cannot commit to every single thing. Like if, if you want to say yes to Jesus, you've got to say no to a whole lot of other stuff. Because you can only have one Lord in your life. You can't have two or three. Jesus said something about that once. You, just, you, you can only have one master. So you've got to say yes carefully. So for those of you who are married, and those of you who hope to one day be married, there's this moment where you stood probably in front of a pastor and you said some vows. Some version of this, you said, you know, I take you to be my lawful wife or husband to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health until death do us part. You gave these words to your spouse. You made a covenant. You said, yes. Yes, I will. So how serious were you about those words? And how serious are you continuing to be about those words? Because Jesus says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. 
And this is where this all comes together. Because do you know what the, probably the very last metaphor that God uses in the entire Bible is? It's a wedding. Very end of Revelation, God says that final day is going to be like a wedding. And he describes the church as a bride and Jesus as the groom. And I know, guys, it's a little weird to think of being a bride, but there's plenty of other metaphors that are, that are aimed at us. So it's okay. You can let the ladies have this one, all right? But God gives this metaphor, and here's his point in the metaphor, is that on that final day, because Jesus made some promises to us, he said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. He said, I'm going away away to prepare a place for you. If it weren't so, I would not have told you. So he's gone to prepare a place for us, and God says, in that final day when Jesus comes back, it's going to be like this wedding where he finally comes to get us. And, And look, It makes for a very interesting movie to have a bride or a groom that's left on their wedding day. It's like, it can can be a kind of cheesy, nice rom-com when we follow this whole movie and we realize the bride really loves this other man and so we all kind of celebrate at the end of the movie when she realizes this and bails on this other groom on the wedding day and is with her true love. That makes for an interesting movie. But that makes for a terrible life. Like, no one wants to be stood up on their wedding day. Like, no groom wants to stand here and look down the aisle and the door's open and there's nobody there. No bride wants to get ready to walk down the aisle and somebody comes up and says, hey, your groom just bolted. Like, nobody wants that. And Jesus uses that metaphor in part to say to us, on the last day when I come back, I will not leave you. I will not get cold feet. I will not change my mind. I will not pick somebody else. I'm coming back for you. That's what he promises to do. So here's why God cares so much about your commitments, especially your marriage commitments. Because those commitments reflect his commitment to us. Our our promises to each other, especially in marriage, that's a reflection that God one day is just that serious. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to break up with us. He's coming back for us. Uh, So my grandparents, they've been married for about uh, 60 years now. And a few years ago, uh, their their dishwasher broke. And so they did something very strange. Uh, And I was like, Grandpa, why are you doing this? They didn't fix the dishwasher or replace the dishwasher. They just had it taken out and put a cabinet in its place. And my grandpa said, well, your your grandma needs a little more storage space in the kitchen. Like that, but it's a dishwasher. And he said said something that, like, one of the sweetest things I've heard my grandpa ever say. He said... Well, this just gives us one more thing to do together. My gra- your grandma, she washes, she washes the dishes at night, and I stand there with her, and I dry them, and I put them away. That's just one more thing we get to do together. And I'm just like, oh, my, oh, what? <laughs> and here I am like, but, Grandpa, you have to hand wash stuff. And, but here's the deal. You do not get to that place by accident. You just don't. And if you were to ask, if my grandparents were here right now and you could ask them, hey, what, what's the secret to being married so long? They'll tell you one word, commitment. That's, they'll say, it just, it just takes commitment. That, that's it. It's not some crazy whirlwind romance. It's not like everything's perfect and everything's always happy. It's just we're just committed to each other. So no matter what happens, we're still going to be here for each other. We're still going to figure it out. We're still going to fight. We're going we're to work through it no matter what. Commitment. 
And Jesus wants us to keep our commitments because he's going to keep his commitment to us. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your promises and your commitment to us and the fact that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. You have told us exactly what you're going to do and who you are. And so, Father, I just want to pray, especially for all of the marriages in the room right now. Um, and, Father, I want to pray that you would bless those marriages, you would encourage those marriages. Um, where there might be some real challenges, um, I ask that you would provide people in their lives to give wisdom and counsel. Uh, I pray that you would just help uh, communication flow better, uh, that you would help all of our married couples to work through whatever, whatever's going on so they'll have a stronger marriage. And I pray, God, that you would protect marriages from the schemes of Satan to weaken them, to discourage them, to try to break them. Uh, and God, I pray for those in the room that are, that are single, and I pray that you would help them know that they are not in Thank you. 